This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello, I'm Sarah Smith, proud sponsor of Dumpty Dum. If you want to polish up your Albion, give your optics a wipe, or even mop up after your ferrets, Sarah Smith cloths are eco-friendly, reusable, and washable. And, you know, a bit posh. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the posher washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. Hello, Dumpty Dummers of the world. Uh, it's Annie Brown here. You might remember me from the award ceremony last year. And this is my very, very, very late thank you for my birthday card that I received last year, February, from Lucy and Roy Field. Um, also, um, before I get on to my Dumpty Dum, could I ask that the Dumpty, Dimpf- Dumpty Dimpfant's age limit is extended so that I can stay in it? Um, okay, so here's my Dumpty Dum. Dumpty, Dumpty Dum, Dum, Dumpty, Dumpty, Dumpty Dum, Dumpty Diddly Dum, Dumpty Diddly Dum, Dee Diddly Dum, Dee Diddly Dum. Dumpty 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 dum dum dee diddly dum bum. This episode of Dumpty Dum is sponsored by Borsetshire Technical College Environmental Health Department. If you're interested in a career in catering, come and learn about dairy hygiene and cheese making and washing your hands. Carefully. <laughs> This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the lamp in the darkness that is Royfield Brown, and with me I have the smelly old lurcher that is... Lucy Freeman. And today we are joined by the green-fingered archer superfan who is... Jane Perone. Woohoo! And the last part of our poaching exhibition, folks, is you. Now, you, dear listener, will probably find that the monologue and the listener caused a bit of a slog this week... But bear with us, because boy, do we have some block-busting news for you at the end of the show. And now, today's Dumpty Dum is from a Dumpty Diddler, Annie, a.k.a. Tilly Button. Wasn't that really sweet, Lucy? Yes, very sweet. Oh, I love a bit of little Annie action. She's awesome. <laughs> now, and there's also some Dumpty Diddler news later on as well. But first, before all that, Lucy... Can you remind our listeners how they win the accolade of Dumpty Dum of the Week? Yes, if you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum, give us a plot prediction or retrieve your dentures from the Gay Grable's lost property box, <laughs> ring us on 02030313105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Thanks to lovely Shambridges for her amazing voices, to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and to Sarah Smith for sponsoring us. Um, thanks also to Derek for the loan in the back bedroom. Uh, he's very busy this week. He's very concerned about the VW emissions testing stuff. Uh, he drives a Volkswagen Prostate, as we know. Uh, he followed the instructions about having his emissions tested, but the garage sent him home when he turned up with a little jam jar full. What you like, you. <laughs> but it's nice that you, it's also something topical. I know. A little, I do well, try, you uh, know. Well done. Um, the other <laughs> thing, which is always which is always left in hotels, is iPhone charger leads. Yes. Mm. But it's not Did you know that iPhone, d- d- uh, Apple, mm. do a really, a, a, a really, there's a really interesting test that they do to mm. make sure that whatever iPhone lead they supply you with, it's mm. always got to be just one inch too short to reach the bedside table from the plug. <laughs> really? Mm. Mm. They go to a lot of effort to do, achieve that consistently. Whichever model well, you get, it's all, always the same. But you know what, though? What? I, I feel that this show is that gag or that observation is not going to be in keeping with the tenor of this show. I feel that this show is going to be all kind of organic. 
Yes. Yeah. And kind of like plant-based. Right. So let's not have any of that at all. Okay. Right, smashing. Now, on this week's show, we have calls from Paul Room, who's got his calendar out, with a spoon, who gets Jazza in the psychiatrist's chair, Goddess Diva, who has a wish for Helen, and Yokel Bear, who's worried about the unbridled hand of capitalism. God, aren't we all? <laughs> Are you worried about the unbridled hand of capitalism, Jane? I'm terrified. Absolutely terrified. Hmm. Totally. Hazel is a figure of nightmares for me. I mean, there's cuddly capitalism and there's kind of, you know, there's the Brian style kind of fumbling. Jack Woolley was kind of cuddly capitalist, wasn't he? Well, he was caring capitalist, wasn't he? He was kind of interested in the community and all that stuff. Hmm. Like with the shop and everything. He was. Yeah, well, yes, that's right. Was that all just, you know, was that all just a front for, you know, is that just his way of... You know, get inveigling. You know, well, that, that that's that's always Hazel's defence, isn't it? She says, "My daddy was a businessman." You know, yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. heinous scheme she's she's and and she's right. He is really was was. Oh, oh. I know. Miss miss a bit of Jack, don't we? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is. But true. before we reminisce, why don't we hear about Lucy V Freeman's week in Ambridge? <laughs> It was a week red in tooth and claw in Ambridge. Ferreting, lamping, dead rabbits everywhere, funeral plans. But obviously the storyline we're all most concerned about and the one that's getting harder to listen to is Jill and her gigantic room at Lower Loxley. The <laughs> scroll work's getting on her wick and she doesn't like the curtains. I don't know how she carries on, personally. Um, Gemma Hawkins is having a goose this year. I just thought you'd, you should know. Uh, okay. Jerome's gone to Belgium and Roscoe Jolliffe's at the bottling plant. And Roy is following up on those dentures. So that's all good. Uh, could we just pause for a moment? Roscoe Jolliffe. Yes. Eddie spent the week trundling around the village forcing rabbits on people in an effort to realise that rabbit is so boring it might make them want to buy geese. It's an unusual marketing strategy and it is going as well as you'd expect, really. You mustn't let her end define your memories of her, said Carol to Jill. Eh? Everyone always remembered Granny Heather, said Pip piously. Everyone except her daughter, who managed to quite successfully forget her for months on end. The village supported Ruth through her mourning in its own inimitable style. Eddie bought her two dead rabbits and everyone else told her they were a bit bored now and could she stop going on about it, please? Dan is mm. a troop leader. Dib, dib, dib. They're going to have a family party to celebrate it along with Jill's 143rd birthday. So that'll go well. They don't learn the archers, do they? The first leaf on the tree has started to go vaguely copper-coloured and Linda has sprung into action about the sodding Christmas sodding show. Linda held up all the guests, or rather Charlie Thomas anyway, who seemed to be the only person in Gay Grables, apart from huge numbers of staff and the Grundies, looking up shows and what flops or baps or buns or whatever it is they're called are doing. The show, whatever it is, is going to be at Lower Loxley, fresh from its success with Cozy Fan Tutte. We're going to have to endure Cozy Fanny Tutti Fruity with the inevitable (laughs) will-they-won't-they Christmas show romance, unwilling actors being hauled in to play wildly unsuitable roles that they turn out to be brilliant at, Robert Snell, only heard as a banging noise off stage, Neil clearing his throat in a long-suffering way, and Linda getting on everyone's wick until we're all completely sick of Christmas by November the 22nd. Neil, in his role as village Boutros Boutros Garley, had to break the sad news to Charlie Thomas that the village had unanimously decided to reject Justin Elliott's offer to rebuild the village hall on condition it was renamed the Wee Heart Justin Hall. Neil told him how they were using a practically professional team to build the village hall, Fallon, 
Neil, Robert Snell, a woman who does up teapots, a computer programmer, and Neil. It'll just be a massive pig arc with Kath Kidston wallpaper. <laughs> Adam had two conversations this week in which I completely drifted off. I did try, but he started on about grazing patterns and share farming and blah de blah, and I just start hearing the music from the magic roundabout playing in my head. I just cannot concentrate on Adam unless he's being all intense and sexy about Charlie. So for all I know, he could have suggested to Brian that they pave over the fishing lodge and put Jenny on the game. They are <laughs> renewing the kitchens and the bogs at the bull. Possibly combining the two for efficiency reasons. A combination urinal and steamer, for instance. Lewis suddenly popped up again at Lower Loxley, seen but not heard. And Mike is apparently coming back to get a job at Barrow Farm, which makes no sense in anyone's universe. It's like all the characters are in a snow globe. Someone's shaking it up. They all go sailing up in the air. Wherever they land, they have to start again from there. For instance, Jenny Darling and Carol Tobogan are now bestie friendies. Ed and William are now doting brothers who went to check on the poachers together. They had Lamps and Lurchers, which is the name of the new gastro pub in Darrington. Anyway, Ed <laughs> reckons it was four blokes and two dogs in a van that was possibly yellow. Yellow? What was it? A bloody ice cream van? But the good news is, Jazza returned. Whoopee! He is fed up with Pat's recurring ratatouille. The after effects of the chickpea casserole is upsetting the pigs. And he's cheesed off with living at Bridge Farm. I imagine it like the house in the League of Gentlemen. Here is the downstairs convenience into which we do not pass solids. He said Eddie was a Zen master in the art of abuse. Now, I don't know a great deal about Zen, but I am fairly sure abuse isn't one of the arts they train. Mm. The only people who have twigged that Rob is the devil incarnate is Eddie and Joe. Hurrah for the Grundies. Let's hope Florence the ferret nips up his trouser leg and gets her razor-sharp teeth round his titchy knob. The end. <laughs> Hey, Lucy. What? I enjoyed that this week. Thank you, Roy Phillips. You know, you're actually getting better at this. <laughs> you are. You know, you, you know we've only been well, doing been, it, what, it's so been... 17 I was gonna say, times. Yeah. But it's been, it's been about... several weeks now until you've threatened to fire me. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm doing well. No, to be fair, that gag got tired in about week three. I know. Okay, fair enough. It did. But I didn't realise it was a gag. I, I was on tenterhooks the whole time. <laughs> You know what, though, Lucy? Yes. I am super duper excited because uh, we have a special guest with us this week, don't we? We do. We do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not the most green fingered of people. In my back garden, guess what I've got? Paving stones and pots. Almost just decking. Really? Yeah, just decking. But I'm thinking of ripping the bugger up. It's people like you that are stopping sparrows and things. Really? Yes. They've no hedges. No one has hedges and no one has pot plant. No one has bushes and things like that for them to nest well, in. Nobody city. in London has a bloody bush or a hedge. I do. Do you? I have a very large bush. Not that it's anything to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> Jane? Yes. There's an obvious gag there, but I'm not going to ask you about <laughs> no, how big your bush is. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm looking out on my garden. There is no decking. There used to be decking. Mm. My, my, my decking warning, Royf, is that um, when you do rip it up, yeah. sometimes you find there's things living under there that you might not realise were there. Rats. Rats really yes. like decking. <laughs> so just, you know, oh, just like, remember that. What, so, what about um, Beth Jordash's dad? Will he be underneath my decking? 
or is that just a reference <laughs> to the brookside that's lost on everything? Well, I think that was Patia. That was that was that Stone. Was that was that was. Uh, yeah. You might need to get Will to get whatever his dog's name is to come round and just be the, on alert to deal with any rats that come running out. Yeah. Has Will got a new dog after? Oh, Ed I don't remember now. He has uh, to because he keeps dogging the pheasants in. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of dogging going on. Yeah, I mean, or I could send Wolfie my lurcher. He will probably do a good job too. Is it true that if you want to, like, you know, pep up your compost, have a bit of a waz on it? Yes, that is indeed true. Do you waz on your compost? Well, no. <laughs> that would be an interesting logistical challenge, <laughs> given that my comp- two compost bins are sort of... Um, you can get a she-wee. They look like I could do. They look and a hose, like... some sort of hose attachment. <laughs> so I'd have to be sort of crouch squatting over them, which would be. I mean, I do. I yeah, I have been known to uh, collect urine from various sources within the family. I should hasten to say. Um, to People in the park. What's you know that? what I've realised? We haven't actually said that you are the guardian. Yeah, uh, gardening you journalist. Me properly. Yes. So I mean, this is why I know about this stuff. <laughs> randomly you're not just a hobby urologist or anything like that no no um (laughs) it's not really because i knew this stuff before i was the gardening editor uh but yes i am the gardening editor at the guardian so this kind of stuff we get lots of questions about composting so yeah you tend to sort of work up a bit of a repertoire and when i do a talk about composting sometimes i go and give talks at uh gardening clubs which i have to say is probably the closest to real life the archers that i ever get um, is when you go and give a talk to a village gardening club and oftentimes people like to sort of be squeamish about the wee aspect. As long as people... Nobody does any live demonstrations, do they? Um, well, I usually take along some composting worms with me. Mm-hmm. If that, I mean, if that counts as a live demonstration. Not of the weeing! <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> no, no. What sort I of a think... show do you think it is, Royfield? There's a rule that at every talk I do, and it's probably a reflection on my the quality of the talk, there's always one person somewhere in the audience with their head tipped back and their mouth wide open, fast asleep. <laughs> every time. Every time. I try to keep them awake in any way possible. So perhaps that's where I should go next. Do you Which think, because obviously there's, a, there's, a, there's an agricultural correspondent on the Archers, as we know. Do they get the gardening stuff right? Is the, are the right things out at the right time? Would Linda's yeah, Agapanthus I'm... or whatever it was have survived and all that stuff? They were saying that somebody was complaining about um, the storyline with the flower and produce mm. and the roses, the the the, the, yeah. um, Albertine. Roses. the Albertine wouldn't have been. Yeah, house, the, but actually I've got lots of, I'm just looking around my garden. I've got quite a few roses still out now. So I think it depends, you know, the trouble with gardening advice is, you know, it depends, it depends, it depends. Yeah. Like if you're in probably far north of Scotland, well, no, you're not going to have any roses. But if you're sort of south of the Watford Gap, you may well do. So you can't really generalise. But generally on the whole, I think it's it's actually not bad. I just, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the storyline with the tomatoes and the sewage was just a good one. And again, I did, I did do some research on that. And my conclusion was, and I'm usually pretty, as you already detected, pretty laissez-faire about these things. But my conclusion on the sewage was that I probably wouldn't have eaten those tomatoes. <laughs> so I don't know if there's going to be any repercussions on that front, but you're better off with uh, some homemade compost rather than um, sewage. So which cheap. came first, your love of horticulture or was it the archers? 
Well, I don't think I could really. I I always say some. This wasn't my quote, but somebody once said this, and I think it's very true that you the archers is like a sort of genetic inheritance. Uh, or something you catch, a disease you catch off somebody else. So I remember my mum making the Sunday lunch and it's sort of a steamy kitchen with a veg on and, and the arches being on as a child. And, you know, as a child, I was also into growing stuff. And I remember, you know, like sowing parsley seeds and coming back half an hour later and not understanding why I hadn't come up yet. <laughs> it's probably about five. Um, so both have been things that have been kind of lifelong interests the archers, I kind of, I uh, I lived in the States for a bit in my 20s, so I didn't listen to the archers then because it wasn't really in the era when one could download podcasts and so forth. But I came back to it uh, probably about, uh, let's think about, well, about probably about 15 years ago um, and have been, really the podcast age really got me absolutely dedicated in my listening. Before that, I was a bit more patchy. Um, but now I, it's my little treat. It's my little treat in the day. I think, oh, I just, just need a little downtime. So that's my treat is listening to the archers from the day before. So, yeah. you know, when Carol, Carol Tregoran came into it or came back into mm. Ambridge, did you get all excited? Because she's all about her gardens and her hydrangeas and all that malarkey, isn't I, she? I love, I love the way that everyone is so absolutely freaked out by her sort of herbal remedies. <laughs> and I mean, they're sort of making it all sort of magical and yeah. burn the witch, burn oh, the witch. Oh She's God. making a herbal tea. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I guess as somebody who like uses herbs for all kind of things, I'm just it doesn't sort of freak me out in the same way. But there is a lot of um, sort of not everyone sort of understands that world, and it is something you have to kind of read up on and gen up on. You can't just go and grab a load of leaves out of the garden and boil up the kettle and pour them over and expect to do you good so i there is good reason why people sort of treat that but i just i love her approach and i'm just wondering whether um well i don't know I'm, I'm a bit offended by the the relationship between uh her and bert that it all seems a little bit sort of master and servant and i find that a bit painful mm. i just wish she got out there with her spade mm. herself but perhaps she's not i don't know how old is she in her eight you know 70s 80s perhaps 70s. she's not up to it yeah i think she must be 70s yeah Something I've well, never understood is um, Jennifer Aldridge clearly has this vast garden yeah. and, and no gardener, but she never seems to garden. Yeah. Well, and you'd that, imagine yeah. it would be immaculate because she's Jennifer yeah. and she wouldn't be able to stand there and look at a rose that l looked, you know, half an hour past its best. Yeah, but who, no, who does it? She, gardener. she would definitely need a gardener. I mean, but she could, because she's not out there with a pair, in a pair of wellies, no. is she? you know, mowing the lawn or... And Brian's not doing it. So... So who is? We need to know. Well, yeah, I think everyone needs a titcom, don't they? I need I a titcom. I could very much put a titcom to work in my garden for hours and hours and hours um, doing various tasks. Yeah, gardeners are great. And, you know, you don't want to... Feel... You feel somewhat of a fraud being the, the Guardian's gardening expert if you had Titcombe doing all the, the heavy lifting. Surely you've got to get in there yourself. There's only so many hours in the week, though, right? And there are things that need doing in my garden mm. that are just really, really time-consuming. Like, I've got a, pet, a plum tree, which I haven't pruned this summer because I just didn't get round to it. It's a time-consuming job. It involves equipment and keeping the children out of the way because it's, you know, ladders and stuff. So, yeah, 
there's always there's never enough time in the day but I mean I do spend a lot of time in my garden um and I've just bought myself a new push mower which is very exciting um a push mower it's like it's just powered by your own pushing power you just push you just push it along and um because my old one was was basically expiring so uh yeah that's that's very exciting but I is that like the gardener's equivalent to like an arga you know, something slightly old-fashioned yeah. and there's a certain amount quite, of snob, snobbery it value is. in it. Yeah, and I nearly bought a vintage one because mm. I thought, oh, that would be really cool to have a vintage one. <laughs> then I thought, oh, God, no. And I started talking to experts on Twitter and they started saying, you need to blah, blah, blah it. And I'm going, oh, I don't even know mm. what that means. And I just thought, no. And also it would be heavy but, as hell, wouldn't it? Yeah, they are quite heavy. It's good exercise, <laughs> I'll say that. But it, <laughs> the modern ones are, are not so heavy, but... um. Yeah, it's it is it is heavier than um, my old electric one, but um, it's good fun. And I really don't have a pristine lawn. My lawn, in fact, my mum last summer I was doing this experiment of growing it longer and growing various flowers in it. And my mum said, "Oh, well, the good thing is now you've got the rest of the garden sorted out. You can get a new lawn." I was like, "This is how it is." (laughs) So sometimes my ways are, you know, a little unusual, but. I have, a, I have a green roof on my office where I'm sitting right now, and I have had somebody knock on the door and say, I see you've got some weeds on your roof. Would you like it to be us to come and redo it for you? And I said, it's a green roof. It's meant to be like that. I mean, in the office, I think I am sort of the weird outlier of, you know, people sort of only come up and ask me questions when they've got something garden related. Otherwise, I'm just sort of the strange person who sits in the corner. <laughs> way about marigolds i've got something garden related and archers related now is my mind playing tricks on me but was uh marjorie antropus was she super duperly green fingered oh now that was in my patchy listening days and i'm i think she i haven't think she was i think she was one of those women who sort of yeah who sort of wore flowery mm. cottage garden style dresses and but also was quite handy with a trowel that, that's my memory, but I'm, not, some, I'm sure some one of your listeners will be able to fill in the gaps there. Um, but there really aren't many. Yeah, there aren't many people that are actively, apart from Carol and Bert, mm-hmm. that really are sort of actively gardening. But you'd think Linda Snell, you know, would have a bit of a dabble, wouldn't you? She does. She has she, a, her yeah, hypoallergenic has. garden, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'd forgotten about that. That's actually quite a nice. Except little, it's um... three foot underwater now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> true. Is it lily pads then? (laughs) Flood prevention is a real issue, and um, it's good that they've brought that up into the storyline. But it's one of those things. It's those ongoing storylines are quite hard to maintain. So yeah, they kind of keep sort of mentioning it, but actually, realistically, you know, we were more interested in Robin Helen, aren't we? Really. So, what are your plot predictions on the Robin Helen thing? Oh my god! Well. I think it's going to all come to a head over Christmas in some way, shape, or form because it's, it's because it's that's what they want. They want the big Christmas storyline. I think it's going to if it's going to be realistic, which obviously you know it's the Archers. It's as realistic as not very realistic. But I think it's going to be one of those things where it's going. It should go on a bit longer because in real life these things do go on. It's not it's not an easily resolved situation, and it takes women a long time to realise, to internalise. I, I know I have friends who've said this, that they, they could see other women going through things and go, oh, yes, yes, they need to leave their husband. And they didn't realise what was going on themselves in their own relationship. So I think it's going to take Helen a while to process this and and get brave enough to realise that something's really gone awry. 
um, and possibly we need Krusty to come in and make us see sense. Yeah. But and, and I mean, I know a lot of people find the storyline very difficult to listen to, and I appreciate that. But I, I think also it's a very good storyline because it's bringing us something different that we haven't had before. And he is you need some villains, don't you? You can't just have it can't all be flower and produce. You do need some villains. in. There. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's going to I think the baby storyline I mean, she, yeah. If indeed I'm, there is a baby, some of well, our callers are questioning this. Yeah, well, exactly. The, I mean, I one of my bugbears is poor depiction of pregnancy and childbirth, <laughs> because I'm. I seem to remember last time. You know, they they predict they they the way that um, labour is always depicted is one minute they're fine, the next minute yeah. they're oh, yeah. oh, you know, it's really not. Or fine. waters are breaking dramatically all over the place. Yeah. Exactly. Rather than you actually saying, ooh, I feel a bit funny. And then three exactly. days later, the baby coming. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the funny thing. And you think, gosh, has any of these people who've actually <laughs> writing this ever had a baby or been with anyone who's having a baby? Because it's just with that storyline, we're going to end up with with a dramatic ending of some kind or other. There's, it's got to come to a head in some kind of way. It's not going to peter out. It can't peter out. Um, and there's going to be a lot of recriminations once Pat and Tony realise and once Tom realises what's been going on, there's going to be, it's it's going to have a big ripple effect. It's going to be another thing, isn't it, for Pat to beat herself up about. She beats herself up yeah. about John, uh, about Tom and Kirsty, and about um, Helen's anorexia, and now this, there's this as well. well. I think in a way that's quite realistic in that when yeah. some, when this happens, when there's a domestic violence situation, not that I've been in this situation, but I know from speaking to other people that, actually once it all comes out everyone around goes oh my god if only i realized mm. that this was happening you know that i think that that is quite quite typical i think that will be quite accurate um but it's it's one of those storylines where as i say that there's a trigger which is is difficult for some people to deal with and i do sympathize for those people who are listening but can hardly bear to listen that must be a really difficult thing if you're an archer's fan um i don't know how you would deal with that um, and that's obviously something some of your caller inners are experiencing. Um, well, even I, I, I mean, it hasn't happened to me, thank goodness. Mm. But um, if sometimes when I know it's going to be a Rob-heavy episode, I actually start to feel slightly anxious before I turn yeah. it on. Yeah. Yeah. which is and incredible I, to have that reaction. I know, and I, I'm with, when the sort of Jazzer and Jim um, episode this week. I was just loving that because yeah. it was so, it was, oh, I was just in absolute heaven listening to that because yeah. I love Jazza and I love Jim. Um, so I was just really enjoying that and thinking, oh, this is such a nice episode. This is so nice to hear. And yeah. it's so, so you kind of get that light and, sh- light and shade, light and yes. shade, that's mm. um, which is what all good drama consists of, really, isn't it? I, I tell you what, all good podcasts have, though. Good listeners. You've not only called me Royf. You've said that, you know, our callers are called caller inners. Well, I listen to your podcast every week, mate. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dedicated... Aren't you just? I am. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not just coming on here as a Johnny come lately. She's, she's not uh, like the cast members who come on and go, is this a blog? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, no, I'm, I'm a real podcast <laughs> nut. I literally, I'm listening to podcasts back to back to back. 
all day when what, I'm going. What, what else do you listen to? And I'm, I just imagine that you know it, the the world of podcasting has been a massive boon to you personally. You know, working out in the garden. So, what well, else do you listen yeah. to? I mean, well, Alice Fowler and I, also a uh, an Archers fan. If you if you didn't know that, Alice Fowler and I, uh, that Alice Fowler is our gardening uh, columnist in. The Guardian. Um, we did a podcast ourselves called So Grow Repeat earlier this year, which was really mm-hmm. fun to do. Um, and I'm hoping to do some more but of that. But in terms of ones I listen to, um, a lot of them are American, I have to say. Um, I, but I do love um, Answer Me This. Mm-hmm. Um, I love The Illusionist, with mm-hmm. the same, same uh, presenter there, Helen Zaltzman. Um, I also love, there's one called Mortified, which is people reading out their teenage diaries have you heard that one? Oh, i haven't heard that one that's really it's funny duly noted um that's a good one what about um, this american and, life do you like that one this american life although i was thinking this morning that all the men presenters all the men male voices you hear here on it sound like kermit the frog yeah. and now i've thought <laughs> i can't get it out of my mind um so yeah there's there are some fantastic podcasts out there and I am always looking for for new ones and of course your very own American presidents which is very fine. Ooh. I've been listening to that as well. So there you go. What have you learned? Oh my gosh. Well the only thing on one of the episodes you had which I think you've fixed now you had annoying beeping noises. And oh, I nearly pushed you to say the annoying beeping noises have got to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't and then then I think you re-edited it didn't you? Yes. Well, not like that. <laughs> too too many people uh, said you've got techno music in it. And I thought, well, actually, it's a piece of Philip Glass classical music, but uh, it did have uh, an electronic bleep I in it. I didn't mind the mod- modernity of it. I just found the beeps a bit distracting. Mm. But well, I... you were in good company. Well, I, I did. Let's I, move I... on. You're criticising me. Let's move on. <laughs> You're only no, allowed to talk if it's nice, Jane. That's the rule. I want I'm sorry. To speak up your podcast because I think it's great, and I think it's. And I, I have to tell you a small anecdote. When I was living in the states, um, and I, uh, I was living in Louisiana, which is a strange place if you've ever been there. Um, and the funniest thing was that Bob Dole was a presidential candidate at the time, mm-hmm. and I actually got to um, meet him on the campaign trail. Anyway, the funniest thing was that people down there it was quite a novelty being a Brit down there at the time, and. If I said Bob Dole, people would literally fall around laughing. And they just make me, say it again, say it again. <laughs> Bob Dole, honestly. Yeah, so that name is stuck in my head as a pr- failed presidential candidate. What was this, like, 96 then? Yeah, 95 to 97. Yeah, yeah so. When I first went to New Orleans and uh, my grandfather said to me... Uh, Go go down to the to the grocery store and get whatever the heck it was. And uh, literally, I've just come off the plane, uh, met him for the first time, shook his hand, and already he's put putting me out to work, so to speak. So I go down to the grocery store, and uh, I'm queuing up, and I'm in deepest darkest Louisiana. You know, I'm in New Orleans, and I said, "Excuse me, but can you tell me where the I don't know where where the cookies are." It was like a scene from a movie. Everybody <laughs> just like yeah. froze. You know, hamburgers fell out of mouths. It was, it was it's like such a scene from a movie with, excuse me, um, could you tell me where the cookies are? We're, oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is that's on the money. I mean, it's amazing. And I imagine possibly as a black person, they I mean, I remember being asked, are there black people in England? People not being sure about that. And also being asked, do you speak English? Oh, I had that as well. 
And you think, hang on a minute. What the hell? We, met, we thought of this. We invented it. Anyway, so, yeah. But um, how did we get onto this? <laughs> anyway, so podcasts. Yeah, podcasts are great. Love podcasts. Now, Love your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, as I said, um, I have decking. Yes. You know, in, instead of a lawn. And I was actually going to commit the most heinous of kind of gardening crimes by actually having some of that artificial green stuff. Right. Right. Now, obviously, I shouldn't do that. Well, this is a vexed subject. I mean, I, I would say that if you if it works for you and if you can have some other things in your garden that are going to sort of ameliorate the lack of biodiversity that's being caused by your AstroTurf type <laughs> surface, then I think it's okay. I mean, let's not beat ourselves up. Let's not be wearing hair shirts about this kind of thing. If, if it's going to make your life easier and... No, but you, are, it, you are silently appalled because you've got a push mower for goodness sake. <laughs> no, I'm not really. I've got a friend who's got two dogs and a smallish garden and a smallish mm -hmm. area where she wants to have something green but she can't maintain lawn because it's slopey and she has um a fake lawn and i'd say well that's you good. don't talk to her much you don't you don't you don't like going around to see her <laughs> yeah so i mean as i say if you can have some other things in your garden mm -hmm. some you know pollinator friendly flowers and possibly some hedging then you're probably it's fine but there is obviously a wonderful thing about I mean, a lawn can be a wonderfully diverse thing, but it all depends on what kind of lawn. If you've got a very sterile monoculture of just grass, mm. then probably you're not going to encourage many insects in the first I'll place. tell you what would induce me to having like a proper, proper garden. Yeah. I love bees. I'm a, I've got a massive soft spot for bumblebees. So if Jill Archer was living next door to me, yeah. what should I have in my garden to encourage bees? Well, what you need to think about is encouraging a, a long period of flowers throughout the year so that there's lots of nectar and pollen at all times. So, you know, there's a the common kind of plants that you're going to think about, things like, I don't know, lavender and big open-faced single flowers are, are really good for bees. So, for example, at the minute, my cosmos is absolutely covered in bees. Um, mm -hmm. But um, you and but you also want to think about things like spring bulbs because early crocuses and stuff are really valuable for for bumblebees um, when they're just coming out of hibernation. They like to uh, they they desperately need um, a source of pollen and nectar then. So if you can encourage sort of early spring bulbs, that's good. And then also stuff late into the autumn as well. Um, so sort of try to uh, get a good balance throughout the year. And there's a really handy list from the RHS called. It's perfect for pollinators. Um, if you can go and look at that list, it gives you a list of everything that you could possibly imagine that's good for bees. So that's worth a peruse if you if you're serious about serious about encouraging bees. And you will see a massive difference. The other thing you can do is um, have these kind of bee mason bee houses where you can um, encourage mason bees into the garden, which are another kind of bee which are rather lovely. Um, a bit smaller than um, bumblebees they're easy to put up and then you'll get some bees sort of living in your garden as well i've got i've had one of those up for two years and the buggers have ignored it well, where am i supposed to, be, to put it it's got to be um against a i'm just looking to my garden figuring out which way that's facing that's uh west mine's facing west so it needs to be getting the yeah it needs to be getting 
east or west i think is best rather than north or south so that it's it's sheltered and um getting the warmth of the sun how high it. up should it be or does that not matter Oh, well, mine... they don't fly that high, do they, bees? No, mine's about five foot off the ground. The other thing with mason bees is you have to make sure, because in this age of everyone having soil totally covered with bark chips or um, plastic or gravel, um, mason bees need bare soil in order to make their containers for their eggs. So oftentimes in the spring, if I've got bare soil, I'll see these mason bees and it's rain. You see these mason bees all over the bare soil, picking up tiny bits of bare soil to take off to set house um so that's another consideration in modern gardens that everyone covers up the soil whereas Mm. actually we need some bare soil for those those bees uh that's a good one there's that Uh, thing isn't it that a tidy gardener yeah is is sort of ruinous for for biodiversity and stuff because you need a bit of detritus to feed the soil and all that yeah this time of year lots of people are clearing everything away and actually we should be leaving stems um uh, you may if you're a bit of a neat freak you may find this difficult but stems and and um dying uh herbaceous perennials are actually brilliant for overwintering insects so if you can't bear to actually leave them in place you can you can take them down but stack them somewhere so that those insects have a chance to um you've just given me a fantastic excuse now to just leave my garden to go to hell for the next six months i was thinking that sounds somewhat analogous to podcasting really if you're a bit sloppy and shitty about it it's actually quite good (laughs) (laughs) well there is there is something to be said for it and you will really notice the difference in terms of the amounts of um insects in your garden it really does make a difference. And you never know, you might get a hedgehog or something also coming in and snuffling amongst the leaves. Um, so, yeah, if we can all be a bit less neat freakish, then uh, we will help wildlife no end. Oh, that's, that's my little that's my little sermon for the yay. day. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, and that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, hopefully um, that will inspire uh, our children. To, well, my children certainly absolutely love coming out and seeing bumblebees bumbling about and i mean i used to stroke bumblebees as a kid that was my childhood so oh, yeah. listen i tried to bring dead bumblebees back to life as a little kid <laughs> you know what, what i used to do me and my cousin Noel, right we used to get tip-top wrappers right and then because you know dettle's really good for you like when you like fell over as a kid your mum would put <laughs> dettle on on your cuts <laughs> and whatever right so we used to put dettle in one of those tip-top wrappers and put a dead bee in it oh, and like we'd say well my God. check tomorrow check tomorrow it'll be back alive back alive never ever worked why is that because you well, just you drowned it in dettol you <laughs> idiot you drowned it in dettol oh my god how 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 um, wrong-headed was that? That was amazing. <laughs> well, what you need to do, if you find a bee that's looking, especially in the springtime, you find a bee that's looking a bit sad and it, it can't fly, but it's still alive, you can get, you can make up a s- solution of sugar water and put it on a tiny drop of it on a saucer and put the bee on the saucer and the bee will drink the sugar, sugar solution and will revive. So there you go. If it's not fully dead, there is there is hope, but not Dettol, please. Okay. Smashing. <laughs> Right, just just before uh, we leave, uh, I've learnt loads. I don't know about you, Lucy, but I've learnt loads. Um, other than, so we've got Carol Tregoran, Linda Snell, Jill gets out in the garden every now and then yeah. as well, doesn't she? Right? Yeah. But who has the greenest fingers in Ambridge, do you reckon? Well, I think it's, at the minute, it's got to be Carol or Bert. No, it's Bert. Bert, sure. Mm. He's the one who actually knows the stuff. 
Yeah. Well, well, no, you know that thing with the... Would have... You know that thing with the pumpkin or whatever it was that blew up? They put sugar oh, water. Oh, God, yes. Would that have actually happened? Well, I did... Again, I did a bit of digging around about this. I I mean, maybe... See they what you did there, digging sorry. around. Well done. But I think, I think that probably that... I think that probably it is possible. I mean, you can do all kinds of crazy things with um, members of the cucurbit family. I mean, you know, when I was Who were they? In... Are they silence? What were you the cucurbits down the road? Um, no, they, uh, you can... I mean, when I was living in uh, Louisiana, lots of people used to, like, feed uh, watermelons with alcohol. And then you'd, like, have it as a part for a party and you'd stick a straw in it and drink it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there are things that you can do lethal, like that. actually, because of the sugar uh, content. Well, I mean, anyway, flipping it. Consume it. I, I never heard of one exploding, but you know, anything's possible in the crazy world of vegetables. I have exploded a pumpkin in a microwave before, and there is photographic evidence of that. <laughs> that must have made um, a hell of a mess. It's a really good idea to microwave a whole miniature pumpkin in the microwave, and I, <laughs> I didn't realise it was like an egg, in that you know, ultimately pressure would build up. Uh, and it exploded. I did that with a mince pie yesterday. Oh, mince pie scalding, it's a seasonal hazard. Absolutely. What absolutely. do you mean seasonal? It's October. What the hell no. are you eating mince pies for? Because I love a mince of me. And I went into Sainsbury's yesterday <laughs> looking for some Sarah Smith wipes. <laughs> Couldn't see any because it was just a, a Sainsbury's local. I saw the mince pies. I went, you know what? I'm really against this early Christmas stuff. But it's this is one bit of early Christmas. Weed. I'm very happy. I couldn't run home fast enough with the buggers i'm telling you oh, but well, I, yeah I'm, I'm i'm a bit like that with little stolen have you ever had little stolen from little no, oh it's a deadly thing to buy because you just can't <laughs> stop eating it so i'm holding back for the minute but yeah royfield do you want to re rethink you saying i love a mincer me <laughs> <laughs> oh well i do though <laughs> Listen, on that note, why don't we see what the great caller in is to the whole kitten caboodle that is dum-de-dum have to say about the last week's goings-on. Hello, Ambridge 3962. Lucy. Yeah. Caller in who's first? Uh, that's a good question. Who's <laughs> first? Ah, Witherspoon. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings Lucy Royfield and all Dumpty Dummers around the world It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here On a lovely autumnal, or as we say, fall afternoon here in New York City We're getting ready to look at the pretty leaves back in old Kinderhook this weekend It was a fine week in Ambridge Feeling as if the Archers was getting back to its roots welcoming back old friends and beginning new storylines. I had a quite visceral reaction of happiness when I heard Jazzer's voice again. I've never been a big fan of Jazzer, too conniving and selfish for my taste. Will he ever buy someone a pint at the bull? But I know he has a good heart and is an important character in the fabric of this village's life. I wonder about his upbringing. I imagine he must have had one filled with much deprivation and many sad events. I do know that his early years as an adult were defined by his substance use and petty crimes. Having landed in Ambridge myself after the millennium, I asked other listeners to fill in the gaps for me. It seemed like no sooner did Lucy last week speculate about Roy and Elizabeth getting back together 
than Roy was entertaining a phone call from Elizabeth. Roy could have told an easy white lie to Phoebe, but he was honest with her. Good for him. And I like that Phoebe later apologized for her reaction. I do hope that she gets into Oxford. Hey, this Brooklyn boy got into Princeton back in the day. Now, whether Roy and Elizabeth get back together, I don't see it, but I've been wrong before. I love this brewing battle between the Fair Brethren and the Grundies. I'm Team Grundy on this, as I'm sure almost all of us are. But I'm okay with Rex, and like the conversation he and Ruth had. They do have a business to run, but while I hope it fails because I want to see the Fair Brethren running around after lots of geese, I think they are going to be around for a long time. I could see Pip marrying Rex, a man like her father, and they both having to deal with the machinations of Toby, a man much like Uncle Kenton. And regarding that other brotherly duo and the new poacher storyline, how did you like Ed and Will acting as a team? Quite well done, I thought. Others may disagree. We can never have a week without touching upon Helen and Rob. While I think that Rob is a thoroughly despicable man, I don't think he's gaslighting Helen in order to get rid of her, but he does it to better control her and create the perfect Stepford wife and family. So on that movie reference, we'll sign off. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis, wishing you happy hunting. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Jazza on the couch. I think you're a little bit hard on Jazza about him being ungenerous and not buying anyone a pint and all that stuff. Because Joe Grundy's made an entire career for 93 years out of never buying anyone a pint in the bull. So really you can't be too hard on Jazza for that. But I think when things really matter, Jazza is a genuinely um, good guy. Absolutely. Uh, like, you know, he, he he's not taking the hardship fund. He's not taking that because he said there's other people that need it. And, um, you know, he he put aside his own feelings for Fallon to encourage her to get together with harassment. Um, and, you know, he's when when he doesn't fall for any of the middle class village bullshit, which is quite nice. You know, the silly competitions and all that. And he'll quite happily cheat outrageously and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I kind of I kind of like him for that, really, because it's it's offset by his genuine good, good heart. And he's kind of a bit of a philosopher, really, which is kind of why he gets on with Jim. I think mm. sort of he knows how things are for people like the Grundies. And, you know, he kind of understands he's quite a sort of a class warrior in the best sort of way in that he I, he understands the way the class system works and how uh, how middle class people will perceive things in one way and working classes in another and all that sort of thing. I think he's a he's a fabulous character and I'm so pleased he's back. Totally underutilised. Yeah. Totally underutilised. But he does tend to take over every scene that he's in. So if he was used more, it would be the Jazza show. Would that be a bad thing? <laughs> the Jazzers. Played on the bagpipes. Um, it probably would be a bad thing because it's it because he is so different. You you wouldn't want to overuse him and then not have that lovely oh Jazzer, you know when when he does turn up. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, Paul Rim. The clever caller innerers in last week's podcast really got me thinking about the Helen and Rob situation. I hadn't considered that Helen might not be pregnant, but Auntie Jean's call suggesting this is brilliant. It all makes perfect sense now. 
I had initially thought that the scenes where Helen kept running off were her having panic attacks, as they seemed to coincide with some Rob-related nastiness, rather than her quickly going off to be sick due to a pregnancy. In the scene where Rob lost the plot over Fallon being involved in the shop and Helen told him she was pregnant, as Auntie Jean says, it felt as if Rob was going to hit Helen. And so did she offer up a false pregnancy to try and calm him down? After they both went to the GP, Rob expressed surprise that the doctor had not done another pregnancy test, which, by the way, would not usually be double-checked by the GP. So the scriptwriters have given a doubt about the pregnancy actually being real. And at present, we have no proof apart from Helen's say-so. On the other hand, the date of the assumed marital rape scene was the 27th of August. From the excellent Lowfield website of plot summaries, Helen was first noticed to look pale by Jennifer a bit early at only 12 days later on the 8th of September. But perhaps this was due to her coming to realise what Rob is rather than pregnancy, as she was understandably subdued since the terrible event. She first had to rush away on the 23rd of September, when she would be about six weeks pregnant, so this works with Helen actually being pregnant. It would come to a huge, massive, dramatic head with Helen not actually being pregnant. Her main pregnancy scan should be around Christmas, when, according to reports from the recent Radio Times Festival, the storyline comes to a head. She would have to admit to Rob that uh, she wasn't actually pregnant and only said it to placate him. He would go mad with her about him being humiliated around the village by this. And I don't like to think of the resulting horrific consequences. Of course, the most likely option is that I'm overthinking it all and need to get out more. This occurred during the first series of Broadchurch on ITV when I was hooked and drew out timelines and flowcharts, taking in all the evidence, only to be completely wrong. I had forgotten that it was a drama and not real life and the writers can do what they want with red herrings and false trails. And I think the same is happening in The Archers, with brilliant script writing and plot planning. I can't wait for the first mention of Helen not showing that she is pregnant yet, isn't she keeping her figure still and such like, to cast further doubt in our minds about the pregnancy. One further thought from this week is that shouldn't PC Burns have informed his superiors about having Fallon as a girlfriend, and now them being shacked up together. I'm no expert on police procedural, but her father being a convicted drug dealer surely counts as a relative with a criminal conviction that police officers have to disclose. No mention has been made of this as far as I can recall, even if Harrison was the arresting officer at Loxfest, and if he doesn't do it, I'm going to dob him into the Borsetshire Chief Constable. Um, I didn't know. Is that right? Do we have any police listeners? Because uh, Paul says that uh, Harrisman would have to declare that he was living with Fallon because her father is a, a, a criminal. Mm. But I they're only living together. I mean, true. it's not like part... It's it's all a bit of a grey area, this partner's business, isn't it? I mean, mm. I've got... When, you, when I was younger, I'd, you know, you'd have a, a friend who kind of went on three dates with a bloke and start referring to him as my partner. And you'd think, hey, you've... <laughs> No. <laughs> Did people really call their partners partners in the 1980s? When I was young, you cheeky git. Um, well, all right, younger then. Mm, all right. 
But yeah, uh, and also he reckons as well, he's been getting his calendar out and reckons that the Helen storyline's going to kick off at Christmas. I think we all know that that's, mm. that's coming. So, yep. Ooh. Which does, to me, feel slightly truncated in terms of uh, the pacing of this storyline. But um, I actually kind of want this to be over and done yeah. with. Uh, you know, but I appreciate that whatever happens, uh, and even if Rob gets his comeuppance as as he deserves, um, he's going to be returning like a bad penny. Yeah. You know, he's, he's no yeah, way he's his character's going to be written out forever. No. Just in, impossible. Yeah. Hello, Dumpster got a fever here. Um, at the moment, unemployed. I'm, I'm a potential councillor. I'm standing for election. <laughs> Should do it in Umbridge, really. That'd scare the absolute shit out of them. Um, what I want to say this week is about the domestic violence and the and Helen's pregnancy. Um, it's going to get worse. Uh, mine didn't really take off until I got pregnant. I ended up hospitalised twice. It should have been a lot more, but I was too scared to go to hospital. My one wish for Helen would be that she has a termination, grabs Henry and run off to Canada if necessary. Goddess Diva's wish for Helen is that she gets um, she gets out of there and she has an abortion if she is pregnant. I am starting to think that actually she's not now. Mm. She didn't want Rob to come to the doctor's appointment. I think the vomiting was more to do with, I think, as Paul Room said, it's more to do with um, anxiety around Rob and just, you know, when you've had a condition like... Uh, bulimia but, but, or anorexia vomiting is is a stress reaction it's something that happens you know very easily to you but hasn't didn't she go to the docs and the doctor gave her a, you know a positive re- result no pregnancy? you don't get tested they take your word for it oh because she took the pregnancy yeah. test didn't she yeah but she did say i've done it twice mm. but then she didn't show him it you know normally that you have in in a in a soap opera thing, you have yeah, that you, kind of coy scene around, of you? look at the but what does the blue line mean? What do you think it means, darling? All that crap. We didn't have any of that. She just told him, and she told him when she was feeling very threatened. And she didn't want. She's told the family, but she said, "Don't yeah. tell anybody else." And she didn't, didn't want she? him to tell um, uh, Henry either. But then that would be natural, even if she was pregnant. Mm crumbs yeah. all right there's gonna be a hell of a if it, if she isn't there's gonna be a very very awful reckoning when she has to tell him that she's not I unless I she invents a, a miscarriage or something i don't know oh <sighs> or unless he hits her and then she has a miscarriage oh crumbs i know i don't want any physical violence i know, I know, I know. It is. yeah i know hello to dummy it's joe colbert here a um, couple of things to speak about this week. I'm not going to talk about Rob, though. Um, though the thought of him in some horrible brown tweed suit lording it from a horse is just, oh, God, he's horrible. Um, anyway, um, what I want to talk about was, first of all, the um, unbridled hand of capitalism that is um, doing the Grundy thing, basically. It's a bit of a kind of a metaphor for... You know, the economy really, isn't it? You've got the old economy of the Grundys, you know, knocking a few turkeys over the head and flogging them out the back of a car. And now you've got 
the Fair Brothers coming in and undercutting them, and it's all getting a bit ruthless and cutthroat. I think the Grundys might pull back because they're cunning, but I don't know. I don't know. On the second thing I wanted to talk about was, again, about the Fair Brothers. I'm getting to really like Rex, and it's surprising me. Um, I thought I wasn't going to like the Fair Brothers. As I said before, I'm beginning to warm to them a little bit, Rex especially. But I think we know where this is going, especially that chat with Roos. It was all kind of angling for, oh, isn't he a nice lad? Oh, Pip single. Pip will see that Toby's not worth it. She'll then look at Rex and we'll all be buying new hats for the wedding. And poor old Toby will be just left up on the shelf, him alone with his undiagnosed chlamydia. So, yes, so I think it's interesting the way that certainly Rex's character's developed. The final thing I want to say is that I think scriptwriters missed the trick. I think the scriptwriter should have got uh, Henry to say step parental responsibility, just because in Henry's voice that would be absolutely hilarious. I do find Henry's voice really great on me. And I feel really bad because, you know, I'm running down the kid here, really, aren't I? I'm, I'm taking the mickey out of a child. First of all, you know, laughing at Nigel falling off the roost, now mocking a child. I'm just an evil person, really, aren't I? Just, I'm going to hell. Yes, Yokel Bear said he really, really wanted uh, Hen- Henry to say, Step parental... P- I've tried. I was in the shower this morning, Yoko Bear, after I heard your your call. And I was trying to say it. Step parental or I can't remember what the word was, but I giggled so much all the way through. I never got to the end of the phrase. (laughs) But yes, it would be very funny. Um, Yes, that's quite worrying as well. He's just going to have access to him in in that way. Um, And Yoko Bear hates Henry. I don't think you should feel bad about hating what is essentially a sound effect, Yoko Bear. You probably hate Elvis the Peacock as well. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, And that's it. Apart from I wanted to big up Joe Grundy because I am, as you know, somewhat obsessed with with class and the the breakdown thereof. Eh? You're an inverted kind of class snob, aren't you? Well, I don't know. Yeah, you're just full of self-loathing for actually who you are and your <laughs> your social strata and yes, yes, you know, yes, yes. And you're full of you know middle-class privilege and it makes you uneasy and you know. Anyway, go 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 go. Um, as you wear your calf kids and dresses and things like that. Certainly not. Have you seen calf kids and dresses, <laughs> Joe? Uh, Joe Grundy. Is is the only person alive who 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 is as obsessed with class difference as I am, and he said he was the only one who commented about Rob swanning around in tweeds. Who does he think he is? He's not entitled to do that because oh, he recognizes yes. that Rob is an incomer and is nouveau and is trying to he's trying to get that kind of feudal lord of the manor. Mm. thing which he's just not entitled to and i think people in the country particularly are forgiving of privilege they understand how it works but there is a, a there is a noblesse oblige there is a you know a feudal responsibility that comes with that that rob absolutely does not have um mm. and so he's just he's just um you know he's just sort of passing off 
as as the landed gentry and joe is not falling for it for a second which which made me go hurrah and clap <laughs> good old joe right now good old joe indeed 93 don't you know um we have uh well it's been a bit of a long show hasn't it lucy so uh quick coffee break for me uh tea break for you oh can i just say an old tea thing boy did you spark a debate on the old face <laughs> this week i'm sorry but, but i am um, getting some yorkshire tea are sending me some i know yeah and who have you got to thank for that you Thank you. Thank, thank and, you. Uh, but, but it's um, only revenge because you ate my sodding, whatever they were, that. Um, Cinnabons. Yeah. That came all the way from British Columbia. I know. You mm. ate my Canadian buns. You <laughs> git. <laughs> I thought your buns are from Northamptonshire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, quick break. Back with a touch of Millie who talks much more about what tea everybody likes to drink. And we're going to follow that up. With your hashtag, the Archers tweet of the last seven days. Hello, I'm Sarah Smith, proud sponsor of Dumpty Dum. If you want to polish up your Albion, give your optics a wipe, or even mop up after your ferrets, Sarah Smith cloths are eco friendly, reusable, and washable. And, you know, a bit posh. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the posher washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. <laughs> Fancy getting your mouth around something warm? Something comforting you can really get a firm grip on? Why not buy a Dumpty Dum mug from the shop at dumptydum.com? Goes down lovely. It's Millie Bell here. And I was really interested to see when I was looking at the at many of the pages on Facebook how Ruth and Jill has really polarised listeners. So we asked you what you thought. Uh, Sue Hopkinson said, "I think they've behaved really badly, Reed Jill. She should have. She should leave them to it. No more nice Jill prepared meals." <laughs> Actually, I agree. I don't think they're entirely grateful. Uh, Rachel Louise says, "For once, Jill is being thoughtful." As for Ruth, she's allowed to act like a twat for a bit. Her mum died. Fair enough. Rona Skeen says that she doesn't think that Ruth is really... Um, the actor who plays Ruth is really up to the nuances and ambiguities. Sorry, Liz Villalobos says, I love them both. I think Ruth revealed the source of her issues today talking to Rex. And Leslie Greve said, I think they should both make David suffer as it's all his fault, the indecisive twit. I thought that was a little harsh myself. I also wanted to send out start a petition to get Jazz and Jim into the storyline more often. They were in uh, the story this week, and I just love their banter. Two completely different people, and we all know people like that, people who are so different, and yet when they get together, they are magic. And Sarah Woods Rockall reminded us all that Jazz and Jim and also Lillian, yes, we need more Lillian. Morag Lonergan also agreed that it was a fabulous episode. Jim and Jazza just work, she says strangely. <laughs> and also, Royfield asked what your tea of choice would be following on from last week's show. And uh, Chris Sunderland said, yep, Yorkshire tea all the way. He's from Yorkshire, so what else would it be? And Sam Poller said um, that she's from uh, Harrogate, so it's the law to drink Yorkshire tea around here, I think. 
Um, she's never been to Betty's though. Diane Telford said tea direct, fair trade, robust tea, doesn't taste cheap. Jacqueline Bertho says, I like Yorkshire tea, but I prefer PG tips. I have to import it on UK trips to France. Doug Font also drinks PG tips. Uh, C. Rowan Jones uh, drinks Punjana, Irish breakfast, strong, aromatic, full of flavour. Andrew Horn said Rui Boss. I don't know that one. Kevin Slashery, Barry's Tea, when in Ireland, and then Tetley's. Uh, I'd just like to say, oh, Wetherspoon, P. McCosh said her husband drinks PG Tips. On occasion, I will as well. I'd just like to say that living in Australia, I have a friend who has a plantation in Sri Lanka. And every year he goes across and he decides which tea leaves he wants picked to make his own tea. And then he gives us some. So I feel really privileged. But we also drink uh, Dilma which is from Sri Lanka and we love Yorkshire tea having lived in Leeds and also PG Tips so I think we get the best of everything. Quick talk about there was obviously a meetup in Birmingham of people who are interested in the artists and I think they got a studio showing and I felt so jealous that was all over Facebook on Saturday and I felt so left out entirely of my own making because there's no reason why I couldn't have gone if I'd saved up and I'd just like to say that one day guys I will join you all because I'd love to go and see the studio and they all had had a were buying special mugs that had the dumpty dum uh, singing the music uh, written onto it and I just like to say for those of you that didn't manage to get one of those mugs because I think they were limited you could have one of our Dumpty Dum mugs which are really just as nice <laughs> so from me here in Australia on this very stormy night after two days over 30 degrees centigrade I'd like to say goodbye everyone I'll see you next week Hooroo! Thank you, Millie Bell. And it's good to have you back in the saddle and uh, looking at the book of face. Um, Lucy. Yeah. The hashtag tweets of the last seven days that have the archers after the hashtag, please. (laughs) Uh, I know, I have to think about what I said there as well. I was like, what? (laughs) Philip M. Hughes. It's quite a cross uh, uh, tweet, uh, but I loved it. Dear hashtag the archers. By writing out Heather Pet, you have deprived me and others of a weekly game of Geordie Bingo. Hashtag full house, no, full hoose. Hashtag fishy on a dishy. Hashtag why I. Paul Salotti said, next week, Eddie has apoplexy when he spots a fair brother's gnome. <laughs> fair brother brother's handmade gnomes sign. Poor Eddie. Um, Exeter Dormouse. Uh, this was when uh, Phoebe was was uh, filling out her f- her forms for her, her um, uh, Oxbridge. What does Phoebe Moonchild Ganja Botty <laughs> Botty Zatva Brown Lentil Tucker think is so ridiculous about her name on the Ocas form? Uh, Claire with an I says, "Bit uncomfortable that David's comforting Ruth voice is the same as his soothing heifer's voice." <laughs> Vision to him slapping her on the rump and going, Go on, girl. <laughs> she goes out of the room. Um, and Paul Salotti again, which makes him a double record holder. Oh, in the uh, annals, annals, oh dear, annals of um, of Dumpty Dum history. Tweet I think of the week, with the amount, the, the you know, the general kind of anal fixation of your <laughs> jokes it definitely is anals and, and not not animals so, but uh, do, do, am i allowed to go yeah you probably should do it twice as he says right. he's in twice 
Okay, theme of the... <coughs> wow. Uh, Paul Salotti, who said, mm. this was uh, when Ruth was clearing out Mimulvaz's room. David, what's wrong, love? Ruth sobs. Your mother's fucking writing desk is back in here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you know, we've had more mileage out of that writing desk than we did the flood. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> hey, Lucy. What? I think, right, this has probably been one of the most educational dum-de-dums ever. Yeah. Yeah. You Bumblebees, know. weeing on compost. Yeah, I Filling know, watermelons know. with alcohol. Yeah. Excellent. And, I'm going to be doing uh, you know, all of that. Drowning bees in debt or doesn't bring them back to life. <laughs> you know, who knew? <laughs> Well, everybody apart from you, you burk. Well, I was eight. Yes. Come on. Um, but uh, if you want to comment on this week's wonderful podcast, why don't you go to dumdydum.com to join in the debate on the forum. And if you don't want to talk about gardening or dead bees or Stalin or putting alcohol in watermelons, or you can join in on the forum where there is a great thread which is entitled Will Fatherhood Change Rob? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. But uh, you can... That's sorted. That's that's a short (laughs) forum. No. (laughs) It's like when you go through the Saturday... I'll I'll, I'll slag off your rival, Jane. Um, When you go through the Saturday Times and it says things like, will football spell the end of democracy? No. And you just go through answering every every time they ask a question. No. Yes. No. No. Really. Would you have nasal waxing? No. Next. (laughs) Very easy. You go through the entire Sunday... Sunday Times in about two and a half seconds. It's brilliant. Guess what, Lucy? What? Got some iTunes news. Yay! Remember... Was that the big news you were going on about? Oh, God, no. No, oh. no. We even got bigger news than that. Uh, but remember, dear listener, when you waited with bated breath for the list of listeners who had written a review for the show on iTunes? Well, we need your reviews like a flower needs sunshine. So please, for the love of all things holy, which sounds slightly desperate, if you have not done so, please head over to iTunes and post a review. Because I really have, like, dried up. Uh, And uh, it's really good to get new listeners onto the show, the more reviews we have. Um, Now, (laughs) if you don't want to write a review, but you want to help keep the show on the road, there are two ways that can be done. One. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Dumpty Dum and find us and support the show for $2. If you want to just donate, you can go to dumptydum.com and hit the donate button on the site. Which is number two. Uh, Lucy. Yes. Is this it, the news? This is the news. This ah. is, it's almost Dumpty Dum get together time in London. Yes, next month we'll be hooking up. I mean, meeting in London uh, one Saturday evening for dinner somewhere swish. Now, dates will be confirmed this week. And actually, uh, because we record this on a Monday morning, the dates will actually be confirmed uh, in the afternoon. And we posted to all of the relevant dum dum channels. So keep them peeled. Now, uh, it's going to be somewhere nice, but somewhere kind of pub-like because Lucy likes a good pub. Yes, I don't want to have a posh meal. I just want to go and have a drink. But Royfield's making us... But if you're going to get people to, like, come from the four corners of the United Kingdom, right, you've got to give them an event to go to, Lucy. You can't say, come and meet us in a pub if they're coming from Bristol or Bodmin Moor or Bewdley or Bradford or Birmingham or Bridge North or Brighton. <laughs> Are you stuck on the B page of your atlas? <laughs> You've got your AA I'm trying to think out. of somewhere that begins with B in Scotland, and I couldn't think. 
Neither Bridge End is Wales. Yes, Shropshire. Is it? Yeah. I thought Bridge End was actually in Wales. I don't think so, but I don't mm. know. You know what my geography's like. Anyway, if you've ever fancied going to Meruel, that small French village that Ambridge is twin dues, which is also the place that the scriptwriters have completely forgotten all about. You can do so next year, courtesy of Madame Bertho, who on Friday the 25th of March till Sunday evening is putting on a trip to Sanguin in Brittany. You can get to meet the mayor, have dinner, drink wine and cheese, play with baguettes, listen to the archers, all for the brilliant price of approximately 105 quid. There's accommodation thrown into that and all sorts. Now, more details are to come in a future show and there will be a page on the website. Now, this is um, Jacqueline Berto's thing. She's gone to loads of kind of detail organising all of this. Uh, and we are just kind of the conduit somewhat for you. Uh, for this but it, it's a great thing that she's kind of put together and um, more details to come soon but that will be uh, Friday 25th of March 2016 now order of the Dumpty Diddlers news it was Silver Girl that's the the name of the listener I couldn't quite remember oh. the last episode it was Silver Girl on the forum that suggested we change the name from Dumpty Dimpfants and uh, Kiwi listener on the forum posted Dumpty Diddlies not, as you said on the podcast, Dumpty Diddlers, which I'm sure is something quite different. Uh, so what do you reckon, Freeman? What should we do? I quite like Dumpty Diddlers, uh, but does that mean Little Willies or something? I don't know. So um, you have the, the casting vote here. No, I like Dumpty Diddlers. Let's go for that. Okay, it's Dumpty Diddlers, so <laughs> Silver Girl and, <laughs> <laughs> and Kiwi Listener. <laughs> <sighs> Remember to get in contact with us. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on our website. Or you can call us on 0203 to leave us a telephone-type message. On social media, you can find us where we are at dum-de-dum on the Twitters. Or you can tweet me where I'm at Royfield. Me at Lucy V. Freeman or Sarah Smith at Sarah underscore Smith. Or you can tweet me at Jane Perone. Smashing. Hey, I'm going to start tweeting you now. Please do. I love a good I love a good tweet session. Did you did you like my really cleverly googled question to you about uh, winter flowers? <laughs> Abelia Philum disticum. Yes, I know. I thought, yeah, actually, I was start fifth thinking, wow, either he's made a really classy choice there, or he's just googled the most <laughs> Latin name. Actually, I did we just did Google winter flowers. It was as simple as that. Actually, we did have a question from one of your caller inners, didn't we? Which I haven't answered. Oh uh, no! I answered your one. Your it's a really nice plant that Abelia film Abelio. Yes, I, I think so too. Right, Forsythia. Yeah. What's your favourite plant name? Oh, uh, we well, see. I'm a bit of a Latin name geek, so I do really like my Latin names. Um, Is that your inner gym coming out now? I I really like. Oh, yes, that's why I love Jim. That's why I love Jim. He's great. Ceratostigma plumbaginoides is rather nice. <laughs> it's actually a really nice plant. The annoying thing is oftentimes I can't remember the common names of things and only the Latin names. So I I am a bit of a Jim, I have to say. I do love a little bit of Jim. Not that I did Latin at Great Bar Comp. By oh, I found it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You found it? Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Go on, you go first then. 
No, sorry, Roy, if you carry on. No, no, all I was going to say is that um, what I love about Jimmus is it kind of connects with my love of history and, and uh, mm. obviously Roman history. So a lot of, a lot of what he says and whatever, uh, you know, I can kind of track it down to the emperor that would have been reigning or, you know, some kind of battle and whatever. So, But anyway, that's neither funny, comedic or particularly interesting. So you just crack on with whatever you <laughs> right. were saying, Lucy. <laughs> it was uh, Auntie Jean wanted to know... Um, when is best to plant out a Salix Kilmarnock? Well, as I said to Royf, uh, any uh, this is a good time of year. Autumn is actually a really good time of year for planting. Uh, so I think it'll be fine to plant it now before it gets... So it's got a chance to establish. I think Auntie Jean's... It really where chilly. is she? Where, uh, where is she? Oh, I don't know where she is. She's got a Devon accent, but whether or not she's, she's actually no, in she's, she's in Bristol. It's oh, definitely okay. west of country. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think she can plant. I should think she can plant it out, and um, she'll be fine. It'll be absolutely fine. It's it's a pretty uh, tough plant. Keep it well watered until established, as they always say. How like, do you know uh, when it's established? Well, <laughs> see, I love. See, that's what I love about doing these things because people, you you come out with the pat phrases, and then people go, "Yeah, but how do you know that?" And it's a really good question. How do you know that it's established? I know that's why I asked it because it's a good question. <laughs> Well, uh, basically, I would say uh, that you need it to be putting on some growth. So you're probably looking at about six months till next summer till it's. But it depends how wet it is. If it's a soaking wet winter, then you won't need to bother. But if it's very dry and especially if you get cold, drying winds, then you need to keep the soil moist. Or if, if the soil freezes, because then the plant can't access the water. So worth taking some care of it until it's sort of growing next summer. Can I be honest with you? Be honest, always. I, I, I've got a couple of couple of bugbears on Radio Four. You and yours, money box, God's <laughs> question time. I just go yeah. off for God's sake. But you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl now. Well, can I can I make a recommendation? Can I plug my own? Can I, I, mean, I, I meant you and yours. Polish. Can I polish my own um, <laughs> little? Go hey, on. Yeah. Polish Ragapanthus, we won't mind. Don't listen to So Grow Repeat, the final episode, we, where we do our own version of um, a sort of a question time format, except mm-hmm. to do it with a comedian, a philosopher, and a garden expert. So, like, you, for every question, like, somebody asks a question about slugs in potatoes, mm-hmm. so you get kind of the philosopher sort of coming at it from a philosophical angle, and you get the comedian coming up with some gags. It's just, it's fun. If you, if you don't like Gardener's Question Time, you might like that. Just Where, as, where's the diversity on that panel? What do you mean by diversity? Where was the black brummy? <laughs> <laughs> Every Listen, podcast should have having one. having you on the show. <laughs> oh, back at you, Royfield. <laughs> well, I hope I've made you laugh anyway. No, you definitely compost. bloody informed. That was awesome. Everybody needs a pot. Everybody needs a compost heap, really. Bet Midler once said something about compost heaps, which I've now forgotten it. Oh God, there's a really good Bet Midler quote about compost heaps. I can't remember it now, but it's 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 a microcosm of life, and it's it's it makes us aware of death and rejuvenation, and it's a wonderful thing. I thought you said you were the gardener, not the philosopher, on your podcast. Well, I uh, I was the on that episode. I was merely the presenter. I didn't even hold forth an opinion. What do you mean, merely? This is it. I found it. It was quoted by you, Jane. My whole life has been spent waiting for an epiphany, a manifestation of God's presence, the kind of transcendent magical experience that lets you see your place in the big picture. And that is what I had with my first compost heap. Yes. That's what Bette Midler said. 
I've never, I've never thought I'd ever Google the phrase uh, Bet Midler uh, compost heap. <laughs> On that note, I shall leave you guys. I'm going to get myself a milky coffee. Very, thank you very much, Jane. Pleasure. I hope, I hope no, it's not it too hard to edit. <laughs> no, no, no. You've listened to a total star. And we'll call we'll... it pruning this week. We're not editing. Hey, like that. I'll just warn you, I've got a slightly dicky tum this morning. Oh my god. Which, which isn't ideal at any time, let alone first thing in the Monday morning. <sighs> Alright. Um, Have you eaten something dodgy? Well, you know what? We went out to a rather nice swanky dinner last night. It was a friend of mine's birthday and we went to the Ivy in, in Chelsea and the food seemed rather lovely, but I don't know, I've woken up this morning with feeling rather delicate. So. You didn't eat a hollandaise, did you? That's That was my downfall once, eating a hollandaise sauce, which... It's a Bernays sauce, actually. Okay. I, I, there's lots of horrible stories in that book by that um, that chef, Anthony Bourdain, about yeah. what what they what restaurants do with leftover butter. Yeah. That uh, pizza butter dishes. It's horrible. Doesn't make you want to go to a restaurant ever again. But I'm sure the I mean, <laughs> surely you couldn't have got it overnight from the Ivy, could you? You wouldn't have thought so, but yeah, it's normally I'd... it's normally six hours after you've eaten whatever it is that it kicks in. That's the kind of the transit period. If there's blame, there's a claim, Royf. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately. Get a stool sample. (laughs) Although in your current condition, you might need some sort of ice cream tub or something. (laughs) A bottle. (laughs) Oh, God. There's spraying on me me flower bed or somewhere or another. Don't start on the tomatoes and sewage line already. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, well, you know, I mean, well, no. In summary, no, don't do that. Please, God, don't do that. Was it... What? Human waste. Mm. <laughs> you just need to be very careful with your human waste, really. You can wee on your compost heap. Mm-hmm. Well, that accelerates You're... it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can, you can wee... And you can use wee as a fertiliser if, if you uh, dilute it with water. But, yeah. Jane, yeah. I'm going to have to stop. This is all gold. We need to be putting this in the show. <laughs> yeah, you've got to... <laughs> Joe Grundy If you haven't right. started a Monday morning with a stool sample, then really, your week's on a downer I'm sorry, this is the way it's going to go with me. It's, it's stool samples all the way. Fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a change. <sighs> oh, right. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I think we've peaked, to be honest. <laughs> so where are we going to go from here? <laughs>